Hello everyone, Simon Jacobson here, and we will be speaking about why do you matter? It may sound like a silly question, but um, I ask you to think about this. Do you think you really truly matter? We are living among seven and a half billion people. Actually, it's more like 7.7 billion people. So between 7.7 billion people, how significant can you, can one individual, can one person be? And if you really add to the equation what we're taught, the prevalent way of looking at human beings is, they were, that, is that we are here by accident random. Nobody chose that you be here. Nobody planned it. You're a, uh, basically a natural either mutation or a natural accident or a natural event due to your parents mating, breeding, and giving birth to you. So the question is, is there any significance, any importance, any value to who we are? And this isn't a small question because if you don't truly matter, then your decisions, your choices, your actions don't really matter. What difference does it really make? It may make a difference to your immediate circle, to the people you know. It may make a difference to you. But in the cosmic order, in the cosmic sense of things, is there real significance to an individual? And as I just said, if there isn't, it's very far-reaching implications of at the end of the day, what difference does it make? What difference does it make if we're good people or we're not good people? So though initially it begins as like almost a childish question, it actually touches on the core and essence of everything we stand for, everything that we're about. I've asked this question to many, many people. Sadly, most people say, I'm not sure if I matter. Again, circumstantial mattering, yeah, once we're here, we try to justify our existence, and I'm sure each of us has done something good, or more than one thing, that <clears throat> made a difference, made the world a better place. But the big picture, had we never been born, would it really make a difference? Many people wonder whether it would or not. And some people even come to the conclusion it doesn't really matter. So then you have to ask yourself, so how meaningful is our lives? How significant is it? Is it all about our feelings? Our, just we're feeling good about ourselves? We're feeling good about feeling significant? Is anything bigger to the picture? That's what we're going to address. And there's a reason I'm addressing it this week. This is, even though it's a universal subject, and I'm sure some of you are already accustomed to my style, I speak about universal subjects that are relevant to all people, but it also has a connection to my own roots, to my own tradition, because as we're coming now into the holiday of Shavuot, and Shavuot is actually a holiday that most people are aware of. It's the giving of the Torah, of the Bible at Sinai. So following 49, 50 days after the exodus from Egypt, the Bible, the Torah was given at Sinai. This became the mandate that in many ways brought civilization to the world. So it's really a universal book, a universal code, I should say, a blueprint for life. 
And that's why it's so vital to talk about this, because the question is, if we do have such a divine mandate, how does that impact our, on ind our individual contribution, our individual worth and value? And that's what we're talking about now. Now, as I said, most of us maybe didn't give it enough thought. Even if we did, we may not have come, with the come up with the best conclusions. But whether you're educated or not educated, in a certain persuasion or a certain approach, the default state, at least in the Western world, which is today highly technological world, highly depersonalized world, is that significance of individual life is not that valuable. The dignity, the sanctity of life is not really something we focus on. We see life, as I said, we are just basically evolved forms of bacteria, higher species. Yes, our egos and our uh, whatever you want to call it makes us want to feel important. But at the end of the scheme of things, we're no different than one of trillions and trillions of cells and organisms out there. So without getting into a debate about God and evolution and creationism, one thing that always disturbed me greatly was the non-God approach to life, was that we are not here, that is that we're not here for any particular purpose, that we are accidents, that we are just random results of other people's behavior, of the way nature just perpetuates the species. What bothered me was that that ultimately renders us as being negligible, as being unnecessary. Now, I used to think to myself, you know, maybe that's just an ego trip. Human beings have egos, and we don't just want to accept like animals do, that, hey, we're just here to serve a purpose for nature and stop making yourselves more important than you are. Maybe it's just an ego trip. Maybe we are indeed mutations, and we've outgrown ourselves and exaggerate our value. But there's something that resonates in every one of us, and starting when we are children, that we feel a certain importance when we're nurtured, when we're loved. And when we love another, we feel there's something significant in it. And to just chalk it up to chemicals and to biology and to just another way that nature and evolution works to keep the machine rolling, there's something about it that does not fully resonate. I don't have a proof. I would submit that most of you, and probably all of us, unless you become so indoctrinated, though not, would like to believe that the loves of our lives and that when we lose a loved one, it's not just a circumstantial moment of grief because we're weak creatures, but there's something really lost. And that when we truly love another person and we touch that person, that person touches us, something is happening. Not just between us two, but also to the world. And that yes, we do make a difference and can make a difference. I would submit that most human beings feel that way. I would say all do. But some of us have trained ourselves to just become much more of a, almost like a robotic programming that we're just, like as I said, molecules or bacteria or cells or organisms in a larger scheme of things and stop taking yourself so seriously. So to make a case now and put the two arguments, do, are, do we have significance or matter? or do we not matter, I'll let you decide which choice you want to make about your life. And I'm not here to prove anything. I can only say what resonates for me, 
and try to communicate that message. Let's just take a very extreme example. When children are abused, are deeply hurt, it affects their entire lives. It affects their self-esteem, their self-confidence, their ability to trust, their ability to have relationships, their ability to be intimate, their ability to emote and be vulnerable because they've been hurt. If life is really not significant, so, so you were hurt. Why does it matter that much? Why does it impact you? Why don't we just ride through it and, and forget about it and move on, do what we have to do? Why does it have such a deep wound and injury into our psyches when we're not nurtured? So, of course, the evolutionary argument would be because nurturing is important for life. It's in order for it to feel part of a community, to feel that you are significant. You need that for life to be able to really grow. But that, again, is not enough. There's something more to it. If you've had children or grandchildren, you find a certain taste of eternity. The great poets and the romantics, even those that did not invoke the name of God, always use the word eternity, a taste of eternity. That love transcends and brings us to a place that's beyond just the normal biological survival functions. But as I said, I don't want to get trapped in what I said I would not do, is into a debate and intellectualizing of this. I'd rather talk on a personal and personal experiential level. At an experiential level, the fact of the matter that children abandoned have absentee parents, or worse, abused, hurt, violated, fundamentally undermines their ability to fully function. And that tells me that we are wired to be loved and we are wired to love. And that there's some significance to the fact that we need significance in life. It's not just to make us feel good. It's not just to placate us. It's not just to patronize. There's something at the core that every human being strives to feel. I made a mark in this world. I, I, I affected something. I accomplished something. And when we don't have that, it in some way compromises us. And not because of an ego trip, but because that's how we, who we are. So I, I want to share this St. Louis story, which I've shared a number of times, but it so powerfully captures what we're talking about. When Toward a Meaningful Life was published, first published, back in 1995, it's a long time ago, it's 24 years. So the publisher sent me on a book tour across the country. It started 20 cities and ended up being 90 cities. Barnes & Nobles, there was Borders then, independent bookstores. Signings, book signings. They would line up a whole series of interviews, print interviews, radio, television. And then in the evening, go to a bookstore, give a talk. People would line up, you sign books. It was very successful. Had over 100 people average each event. So the publisher decided to expand the tour and ended up being almost 90 cities. One of the cities I went to was St. Louis, Missouri. And I remember it vividly because it was a Monday night and I was speaking and there were thousands of people up to, that came to hear me. But it wasn't because they came to hear me because I, they wanted to hear me. There was actually that night was a memorial service all across the country, the JCCs, for Prime Minister Robin who was assassinated a little while before that. Or was it a year later? I'm not sure. It was a, mem a mem So therefore, big, big turnouts. 
And I ended up speaking, and maybe because of this story, maybe because of that, this person came to hear my talk. I can't tell you. I don't know. After I returned to New York for my trip, I receive a letter, a letter from this woman who writes the following. I was in the audience when you delivered your talk. I was going to come over, but it was a long line. So I decided, I also felt not that comfortable. I decided I'll put it in writing. I'm a 47-year-old executive who works in a prominent firm here in the city. I'm well-respected, well-known, successful, driven, well-connected, have wealth. I have everything that one could dream for. And by all accounts, I would be called a success story. Yet beneath the veneer of my success lies a woman in shreds. You see, my soul was murdered. Murdered by my parents, due to the abuse I endured. Physical abuse, emotional abuse, psychological abuse, and sexual abuse. And it destroyed me, it killed me. They literally ripped away my self-value and I loathed myself. And life has been a miserable life. I don't trust, relationships have not worked, I don't trust people, I'm always testing people, they don't trust me. I don't have any healthy forms of intimacy. I've tried all types of therapy and nothing has really worked. And I've long given up hope. So what I do is I struggle from day to day. I breathe in and out, often very suicidal. What do our people like me do when we lacking inner control? We create outer control. Became super ambitious, super driven, accomplish anything I wish just to somewhat numb myself, somewhat smooth over the inner wounds and pain, the tremendous psychic pain that I experience. And I've given up hope. Someone gave me a copy of your book, Toward a Meaningful Life. I'm Jewish. I'm completely unaffiliated. I don't want to have anything to do with my Judaism, which my parents had to some extent. It's another reason I reject it. But I began to browse through your book not intending to read it, just to look around, and a line jumped out at me that struck me like a silver bullet between the eyes. And that line was, in the beginning of chapter, birth, on birth, birth is God saying, you matter. And I read it again, birth is God saying, you matter. And I read it a third time, birth is God saying, you matter. And in my 47 years, something resonated. It touched a deep chord in the deepest part of my guts, And I came to an epiphany, a realization at that moment, that despite what my parents told me, despite what they conveyed to me, that I'm worthless, despite what society tells us that our only value is due to the fact that we're a statistic on someone's balance sheet, our value is based on our buying power, our looks, our youth, our performance, our social status, what we offer other people. Despite all that, I matter to the one that matters most, God. And no matter what I've accomplished that day or not accomplished, even if I've done nothing of that day, I matter absolutely to God because God created me. You matter. Birth is God saying you matter. So though I have my work cut out for me, this is the conclusion of her letter to me, I now have for the first time in my life hope. The work I have to do, and this would be eloquent if it weren't under the circumstances, 
I'm just commenting on that. The work I have cut out for me is to create bypass surgery, to bypass the toxic and polluted arteries that were compromised due to the abuse I endured and connect to that pure moment of birth when God said, you're my child. I love you unconditionally. You are indispensable. You matter. So thank you for giving me back my life. Even when I repeat it, all my feelings come back to me when I first read that letter. I was crying uncontrollably. Number one, the person sharing their sacred trust. She doesn't know me. She never met me. Number two, just for her life, that painful life. I went back to look at the book, Torah Meaning for Life. It's my book I wrote. But you know, a, a book belongs to the author when they write it. Once it's published, it belongs to the reader, how the reader reads it. And I wanted to read it from her perspective, from her vantage point. And I read it, complete chapter, completely in a different way through her eyes. Birth is God saying you matter. And it affected me in a powerful way. I wrote back to her, thanking her and offering her obviously my help, asking her permission to tell the story, which she granted me with the condition I should not share her name and not give her number or contact information. She said, I'm sure people have similar stories or they want to reach out to me and support and so on. So she still has her challenges. But she's an amazing person. She came to a realization that I have to say blew me away, taught me something. I grew up in a relatively, no home is perfect, in a relatively nurturing, functional home. The oldest of five children. You know, you're spoiled by your parents. They tell you how special you are. I was given that. I had that gift on a platter. And I started asking myself, do I really matter? I never wondered that because my parents always nurtured, supported me. They always made me feel like I matter. And I started asking audiences everywhere I went. I became obsessed. Do you feel you matter? And most people first say chuckle, kind of child, childish question. And then I rephrase the question. You know, most people say, of course I matter. I have a healthy ego. I've got plaques on my wall. I have a wife, I have a husband, I have children. They all worship me or I like, like them to worship me. So I rephrased the question. If you were never born, would it have made any difference to anybody? Remember, once you're born, obviously we justify our existence. We have people who love us. But if you were never born, no one's waiting for you. So no one will be disappointed if you don't show up. So do you truly matter or you matter circumstantially once you're here? Do you matter on a cosmic level, on a fundamental level? If there was one less tree on earth, would it make a difference? If there was one less person, you, on earth, would it make a difference? On a cosmic, fundamental level. And then people start saying, hmm, one minute, that's a good question. Maybe not. Or the answer is a flat out no. This woman did not have that luxury because her parents did not validate her. They did not reinforce or support her inherent intrinsic value. So she came to it in a very hard way, difficult way. Sometimes the eclipse of the sun illuminates for us the sun in ways that sunlight does not. Her eclipse illuminated a truth that we all need to learn from. No one should ever have to go through that. And I've written this back to her. I said, I thank you. 
Because the true reason why we matter is not because my parents told me you're a great guy. And one day they wake up and God forbid they tell me I'm not so great so my stocks go down. If our value is based on what others say, what others value us, like she's, she wrote in the letter, our buying power, our youth, our strength, or whatever, what we do for others, our performance, then if our performance goes down, our value goes down. No, the reason we truly matter is because we were put here. And birth is God saying you matter. Someone chose to put you here. And it doesn't matter if there's seven and a half billion people or 70 and a half billion people or trillion people. You were chosen and therefore you have something unique, indispensable to contribute that you and only you can contribute. She came to that realization because she did not have the luxury of having a life and a family and a community that just told her you're great. So she actually came to the deepest truth of all. No one should ever have to go through that type of being stripped of dignity, of honor, of pride, of confidence. But everything is a lesson. And I began to develop a theory that perhaps many of us, the ambitions that drive us to succeed at work and other, and other endeavors and enterprises we take upon ourselves, perhaps that's to mask an existential unconscious fear that we really don't matter. So we create monuments. We create activities. Many of them are beautiful activities to make sure that we're remembered, to make sure that we do make a mark. And that's, that may be good because at least we're doing that. So it also is a theory on what ambition is about and what is success. When in truth it comes down to this, that we truly matter, not because of any particular vote of confidence, but because we fundamentally, our existence itself dictates our value. And it's interesting, the founding fathers of this country understood that, and they founded the country, the Declaration of Independence. All men are created equal. Let's say all humans are created equal and are endowed by their creator with inalienable rights. That means it makes no difference how many. It's not a numbers game. And it's not based on anything except the mere fact that you're created. And I always wondered, I've asked legal scholars and constitutional scholars, why they put the word created or creator? This could have been the pure separation of church and state. You could have said all men are born equal. All men are equal. Why do you need a created equal? And why do you need by the creator endowed by the creator? This is my own submission. I've never seen it anywhere. Because they understood that if it said born equal or are equal, and you take away the creator, someone can say, born equal? You know what? I decide that maybe we're not equal. But once there's a force that transcends us all, something greater than us all, that has put us here, that nobody can take away because none of us are the creator. None of us created ourselves, and we didn't create each other. Our parents did not create us. They have the power to give birth, but without the creator, without the third partner, we would not be born. So therefore, the creator dictates, not a religious creator, the idea that you, a designer placed you here. And when there's a designer involved, it doesn't matter how many rooms in the beautiful palace, every room is necessary. It doesn't matter how many musical notes. When Mozart was presented to the archbishop, I'm sorry, the archduke of Austria, and the archduke who thought he was a connoisseur of music says to Mozart, beautiful music, but far too many notes. And Mozart purportedly responded, yes, your majesty, 
but not one more than necessary? Or which one do you want me to take out? So this is even man-made structures. That every detail matters. The fact that you don't see how it matters is only our limited sense. And I've always thought about this, the human body. The human body is perhaps the most greatest masterpiece ever created. How many functions, how many organisms, how many systems. And of course, there's trillions and trillions of over 30 trillion, 30 to 75 trillion cells all working together. One mutation, God forbid, can wreak havoc in so many millions and billions of healthy people. And everything is exact. There's nothing extra, there's nothing missing. So I once gave a talk and someone said to me, one second, the wisdom teeth, the appendix, and once it was also thought the tonsils. In the 50s, my tonsils were removed, as many people, because they thought tonsils were uh, negligible, they were extra. They later discovered tonsils have a role, prevent certain illnesses, and, and helps the immune system, etc. So but the appendix and the wisdom teeth. So, I, so he says, so you see it's not exactly perfect. So I said, you know, you remind me <clears throat> when King David, who studied nature, said to God, I understand the magnificence of your creation, but I don't understand why you created the lowly spider. The only creature he couldn't figure out his purpose. Then what happens? King Saul is pursuing him, and he had nowhere to run. He had to escape. The only place was a cave. So he ran to the cave, hoping they wouldn't go in. And God sent the spider who wove a web from the mouth of the cave. So when they passed by the cave, they saw a web. They realized nobody must have walked in there for a while because the web was intact. And King David realized that the spider also has purpose. Saved his life. So before we come to conclusions, we can say, if you see trillions, billions, millions of systems all working perfectly, and one or two, you don't understand their purpose, what's the wise person say? I haven't figured it out yet. If everything is extra and you have one or two that's working in an organized way, you could say it's a fluke. But not if everything is working and two are not. Not they're not working. That we don't know their purpose. The time will come when we'll understand the value of the appendix and the wisdom teeth. Because everything is indispensable. In nature. And so on. Look at all these fascinating imagery that we see today with the cameras, with the close-ups that you can see on nature. You see... The details, the adaptations for hunting, for breeding, for protecting the young, for feeding. How each creature has its own fascinating systems, all at work, all coordinated in the magnificent, extraordinary, I don't even know the word, amazing way. Let us now go back to the human being. So the human being, each one of us, matters. And the reason we matter is not because we think we matter, or because someone told us we do, or because some scientist may find some reason. It's because we were put here, your existence, by definition, is one of value. And yes, indeed, you have the power to change the world. Because if you matter, your decisions matter. Your, your actions matter. Your choices matter. So when you think about it from a scientific point of view, it shouldn't surprise us all. The butterfly effect. The flutter of wings of a butterfly in one corner of the world creates a typhoon in the other corner. Today we know in the world of physics, whether it's the string theory, the world of subatomic, there's some intrinsic connection between the entire universe. We don't even see the universe as fragments. 
some compared to a quilt, that there's an underlying invisible connection between everything. The right brain recognizes that. The left brain focuses on the specifics. If you study neuroscience, you recognize that. So there's an intrinsic unity. Just because we don't see it doesn't mean it's not there. And unity means that every part needs each other and works with each other and affects the other. Exactly like musical notes in a large composition. A great symphony. And each one of us is absolutely necessary. I don't know about you, but I find this not just reassuring. I find it comforting. I find it empowering, motivating. It gives life a reason to live. It gives a reason why I should be a good person. It gives me a reason why I should be kind to someone else. Because it doesn't die with me. These actions have changed the world forever. Because they're all part of a bigger plan. But as opposed to musical notes who don't, that don't have free will, each of us can choose to either be part of this larger mosaic or not to be, God forbid. So each of us is indispensable, but so is everyone else. So we complement each other. Exactly as it is in nature, exactly as it is in the human body. All this I began to appreciate like never before from that letter from St. Louis. For someone who this was stripped away from her, who'd never had the luxury, as I said, the eclipse of the sun. Her life was so dark because she was never nurtured and never given that type of vote of confidence. But came to realize that's where real confidence comes from. It doesn't come from humans. It's not manufactured. It's your birthright. It's who you are. And that, I would submit, is the root of self-value. Now, if it's exaggerated and it's used in an aggressive and selfish way, it becomes arrogance. But if it's harnessed and it's directed, it's the essence of achieving everything because you have value. It's so easy to say, hey, you know how many people, for example, love to throw cold water on ideas because it makes them feel better. If no one else is accomplishing anything, then my non-accomplishment isn't so, isn't so uh, blatant. You know, misery loves company. There are people who develop the cynicism. They dismiss any accomplishment in life because it makes them feel more accomplished because then I'm not so bad that, that I, I failed. But there's something in each one of us that truly wants to feel that, I value, that I'm valued, that I have something to contribute because I have something unique. That's not an illusion. That's coming from our inner, inner, inner essence of who we are. The Balatanya, Rabbi Shneir of the Adi, in the fourth section of his Tanya, in the epistle, section 20, he writes something fascinating. I've talked about this in the past. He says, that sense of self that we feel that we're self-made people. We don't feel anyone created us. We don't feel we are an extension of our parents. We don't feel we're an extension of anybody. Even though we were born and we were once in our mother's womb and we at the umbilical cord had to be cut, we feel self-contained. So most people, most philosophers, psychologists will say that's the root of all problems. That type of self-assurance, self-containment, self-absorption, self-interest. Says... Rabbi Shneir Zaman. No. That's rooted in the essence of the divine. The only thing in existence that does not, was not created is the creator. What he calls Mitsuyose Matsumuse. His existence comes from within himself. Because he is a reality that dictates reality must be. Everything in existence has a source. 
Everything came from something before it. So that sense of our feeling that we didn't come from somewhere, where does it come from? It comes from the Creator Himself, who is that type of existence, a non-existential existence, that does not, was not created by something else because reality dictates, which means it's a very different type of existence. And He infused that sense of value within ourselves that we think we're self-created. Now, it could go the wrong way if you use it for selfish purposes. It can go the right way if you use it for divine purposes. If you realize the life that you were given is a gift, is a gift given to you in order for your independence and individuality to show that birth is God saying you matter, to take your individuality and make a mark in this universe in a way that you and only you can do, then it was worth it. If you take it and say, I'm more important than everybody, I'm a narc- I'm selfish, a narcissist, I use everybody just for my own purposes, it's about me, 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 that's an utter distortion and a disgrace of that gift. So yes, you absolutely matter. And that should be your source of the greatest humility because it's a gift given to you from a greater place. Given to you not from yourself because human beings, we're mortals. Everything in this world is unnes- could, could not have existed. But we were given an intrinsic inherent value, immortal value, eternal value. But that itself is a divine gift when you use it for divine purposes, which means you use it to help the world, to tip the scales, to see that one action creates a ripple effect that can change the entire universe. That's the attitude, a humble empowerment. So on one hand, yes, you matter absolutely. On the other hand, it's not about you. You matter because you were given a mission to accomplish. So it's not just say, oh, now I matter so much. I'm the most important thing on earth. That's not the purpose. You're the most important thing with responsibility to change the earth. That's the reason that you truly matter. As I said, I don't know about you, but I feel tremendously empowered by that concept. Now you'll say, one second, maybe it's an illusion. It's nice to feel this way. Makes you feel really important. You know what? You could always dismiss anything. I'd rather live a life by this principle and do things with my life and commit and be excited than rather live a mediocre and apathetic life because who cares, who really knows, maybe I don't really matter. Because it actually can make a difference because it creates a passion and it creates a commitment, it creates a devotion to your calling. That what you have to contribute is important, is vital to you, to the other people, to the entire human race, to the entire universe, to the cosmos and to God himself. That is a true driving force for success. The true driving force to strive for excellence, to be the best you can be, because you're then utilizing and paying tribute and repaying the debt of the gift given to you by using it to the fullest. And if one does not, then you were given something and you, and you squandered the opportunity. Alas to those that die with their songs still inside them. Oliver Wendell Holmes writes in the voiceless. You have a song inside of you that's unique to you. Many songs. It's our gift. It's our obligation. It's our responsibility to sing that song. To have the courage to sing it. To know that you have something unique to sing. And yes, you can make a mark that no one ever has made and no one ever will make. 
That is one of the most empowering things you'll ever hear. Maybe the most empowering. Because everything flows from that. Then go back to your work, go back to your home, go back to your family, go back to your hobbies, to your travel, to summer vacation, whatever it may be. Infused with that type of sense of mission and sense of urgency, everything changes. Because then not everything you do is being fed, is being nourished, nurtured by this principle that you matter, that you absolutely matter. What's the alter- alternative? Is to either be on the fence or to keep on arguing and say, maybe we don't. And maybe this is just, well, you know what? As I said, I'm not ready to waste my time to debate the issue. If you have to debate it, I'll debate it, but it's not really what I want to do. I'd rather say, let's help empower each other. Let's help us see each other. That whatever happens to you in your life, positive or negative, is really an opportunity for you to shine. For you to shine with your unique light, with your beautiful light, with your beautiful song, with your beautiful everything, to illuminate, to beautify, enhance yourself and everything around you. That when you walk into a room, the room should light up with your unique light. When you meet someone, they feel empowered, they feel uplifted. When you travel places, you are that type of warming presence. People feel empowered, they feel confident around you. Isn't that something? Many of us may never know what people feel like when they meet us. Because people usually won't tell you that you make me feel sad, you make me feel demoralized, you make me feel whatever. But what kind of beautiful thing it would be that whoever you meet says, you know, when I meet you, I always feel better. I always feel more optimistic, more hopeful, more confident that I can take on the challenges. This doesn't eliminate, this is not a magic pill, but it's a force, an agent of light. It's an agent of warmth. It's an agent of change, positive change, that transforms the universe, transforms ourselves and everyone around us. So yes, my friends, birth is God saying you matter. You matter. This isn't a religious precept. This isn't a religious concept, though I use the word God. But as you know, I always quote Levi Yitzchuk Bardichev, who said, the God to the self-proclaimed atheist, the God you don't believe in, I don't believe in either. I'm talking about a universal principle of a designer, a cosmic engineer that puts you here and for a purpose and only you can fulfill that purpose. And we need each other and everyone needs you. It's that type of cycle, that type of complementation, complementation that each of us is interconnected but is uniquely gifted with unique skills, with unique tools, resources, responsibilities. Yes, there's much overlap. As I said, we are a symbiotic, harmony, um, a symbiotic mosaic of many different forces. But then there's those unique elements that when you're alone, when you walk home alone, and even no one around you, you have a uniqueness. You are exclusive. There's a manifest destiny in who you are and why you're here on this earth. I hope I did some justice to this vital, vital topic which, as I said, as we go into the holiday of Shavuot, one of the statements made is that if one person was missing at Sinai, the event would not have happened. What's the, you have millions of people, so one person's not there. They have a rain check, they can come and get it later. No, there's experiences in life that you need everybody there because everyone is necessary. And everyone heard the message as if no one else was standing there. All stated in the singular. God speaking to you and you alone, even though there are millions of people around you. 
then you know that it's a truth that resonates. Because it's a truth that's mine. I don't look whether it's millions of people or thousands of people or 50 people. We're not, it's, not, it's not herd mentality. It's the individual being empowered by a message. And it did change the universe. We're here to talk about it 3,331 years later, to be exact. And it spread the message to the human race. We're not just the Jewish people. All peoples, nations, believe in that type of uniqueness, that you are unique, your life is dignified, your life is sacred as an individual. So may we use this message to be empowered, to feel the strength, to do whatever it takes to nurture that, and remember, every time you focus on materialism and on instant gratification and on short-term satisfactions, you undermine the eternal, immortal, indispensable you. Because when you immerse yourself in things that are expendable, things that are temporary, impermanent, then your life becomes part of that. And your life becomes an a, 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 um, accumulation of the impermanent things you do. So what do you think, what kind of effect it's going to have on you? You'll say, I need another impermanent thing. You keep on becoming like a sugar diet. That You keep on trying to get those highs because they don't last. Whereas when you connect to the eternal soul that makes you unique and indispensable, then immortality shines in your life. And you do not need those continuous highs. You need to continuously feed that in your giving. But what you're creating is eternity. And those before us are remembered forever when they did that and made that mark. And you will be remembered forever when you access that part of your indispensable you. So yes, my friends, you do matter. You truly matter. And this is the driving principle of the Meaningful Life Center. Hence the name Meaningful Life. Your life is meaningful. You matter. We're here to help reinforce that, to help you find your mission, to help us all together do our indispensable contribution, make our indispensable contribution. So please see us as a resource, as a, as a resource, as a friend, as a supporter. And we hope we can rely on you as well. Go to MeaningfulLife.com, go to Facebook, go to all the social platforms that we're on, and please connect with us, share, like, pass it on, and may we all together each do our part where we finally can sing and dance and play that grand cosmic symphony that is, needs each one of us and needs us all. And each of us complement the other and remain indispensable as we do our contribution. Imagine a world that feels that way. No more wars, no more violence, no more discrimination, no more racism. 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 <laughs> because each our diversity is our strength. Diversity leads not to divisiveness, but it leads to a harmony within diversity. May you all be blessed. May we continue to find that voice in us. And please, as I say, reach out to us. Thank you so much. Everyone have a blessed week. Every Wednesday we do this program live. Then it's archived. You can download it as an MP3 podcast and so on. And stay in touch. And please share with us your thoughts, your feelings, your comments. Be blessed. Thank you.